In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of, of disobedience. Among these we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of body and mind. These uh, opening verses from Ephesians chapter 2 don't get a lot of airtime at weddings or at any other celebratory occasion. And it makes sense because never before have we seen a, such a stark and pessimistic view of human nature, even human existence, penned in just two sentences. St. Paul says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, or those who are apart from Jesus find themselves dead, which flies in the face of what most of us might think of in the world concerning our own nature. When we look around the world and see awful problems and travesties, we may indeed say, golly, things are bad. People are not great. We're fallen, but it's more that we're just sort of severely hindered. Or maybe we're just limping along, really not that fallen, but just enough where what we really need is just a little bit of help. St. Paul says that we're dead, meaning that there's nothing that we can do apart from the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit to respond to God, much less to do anything in his name. The great biblical illustration of this is, of course, Lazarus, where Lazarus lay dead in the tomb, and Jesus shows up in Bethany, and he asks, where have you laid them? And they show him Lazarus' tomb, and he says, roll away the stone. And in uh, one of those moments where you realize the King James is actually pretty awesome, they say, he stinketh. Uh, if you ever go to Bethany, there's this wonderful mural where Lazarus is coming out all bandaged up, looking like a mummy, and there's a man over in the corner holding his nose uh, as, as he comes out. Uh, why did he stink? It's because he was dead. Was Lazarus lying in the tomb saying, you know, if I just will myself up and out of my deathbed, where my final resting place is, I'll just walk on out of the tomb. No, Lazarus did not come to life until Jesus said what? Lazarus, come out. And with a quickening word, life came into Lazarus' body. And he came forth and walked to Jesus. So we are not simply severely hindered or just limited, but dead. St. Paul talks about the way that this manifests ourself in our lives. He says it's about sin, the flesh, and the devil. You know, uh, if you ever pay attention in our baptismal service, uh, those words take on some pretty significant meaning because they're in the renunciations. And when I was at St. Helena's in Beaufort, we had this massive youth minister. He was a rugby player from South Africa. And uh, he, he and his wife had a child. And for some reason, they, for this reason, so I can tell the story about them in the pulpit, uh, they waited till the child was three years old before they baptized her. 
which is awkward because the child's not tall enough to lean over the font, and they're not real, they're too big to hold. And uh, she was a healthy-sized young lady uh, getting it from her father's jeans, and so Craig held her. And at that point in the service, when you ask, do you renounce Satan and all the spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God, she reached up and grabbed Craig on the neck and squeezed so hard with her fingernails that blood began to trickle down his neck. And Craig said rather confidently and defiantly, I renounce them! We say she was just a child. We're not like that. We're not going around clawing our parents' necks anymore. But uh, we all know what it's like to grope about in, in the darkness and, and, and to, to be blind and really to cry out as St. Paul said, why is it that I can't do the things I want to do but the very things I don't want to do or what I find myself doing? And that's just as Christians. But before we're Christians, we have no will to choose God. But the best illustration I can give of this, uh, which is unfortunate, but it works, uh, is that of a zombie. The living dead. It's very interesting that Paul would say that we're dead, and yet he goes on to list all of these active words that we are walking uh, the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Those things that are working within us, in which we all once lived. That is Jesus Christ. Thomas Cranmer said, What the heart desires, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. All of us have gone astray. No one chooses God. No, not one is righteousness, is righteous. And just when we think it can't get any worse, Paul decides to tell us that we are children of wrath. Now that undoes a lot of songs I sang as a kid. Uh, and so what does Paul mean that we are children of wrath? Well, when the Bible talks about God's wrath, it does not mean that God merely gets angry from time to time, lashes out, and then forgets about it. But rather, God's wrath is an inevitable and growing opposition to all that is opposed to his righteousness. And because we are born in sin and we can't choose God except he come after us and find us, God can't countenance sin. And so he looks upon us justly and says, you're an object of wrath at this point. Now you say that's a hard word, and it is. But think about it in your own hearts. Have you not seen some awful tragedy in the world, some injustice, especially in armed conflict? And you may not articulate this with your words or in your prayers, but certainly in your heart there have been times where you've said, God, wipe them out. Get rid of them. Well, God would have every right to be wrathful toward us. But then St. Paul writes the sweetest two words in a sinner's ear. But God. But God, who is rich in mercy and of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. 
There was a point in time where my eldest child uh, decided she was going just once. She decided to be bad. And uh, she was beside herself. She hadn't taken a nap. <clears throat> it was just generally awful. And so we removed her from the equation, and I took her upstairs to give her a bath. And she was off in the bathtub, didn't want to sit down. And finally, she sprang to her feet, clenched her fist, gritted her teeth, and looked me square in the eye and said, Daddy, I don't love you. I don't think I've ever been so hurt in my life. It was the worst thing that I had ever heard in my life. And with tears streaming down my face, I was undone as to what to do. And yet what a perfect illustration that we are the three-year-old child standing in the bathtub with our fists clenched, looking at God and saying, I don't love you. But God sees us even in our defiant nature. And because of his great love for us, seeing us as we are, not indifferent to him, but in a posture of defiance. And in spite of our great protests, he loves us, he embraces us, and he dies for us. This is the amazing riches of God's grace. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And when God sees us as we are and enters into the equation of life, comes to earth and dwells amongst us and dies and is raised again from the dead, he does that all the while when we're in a posture of defiance against him. And when, you know, it's funny when we've ever had a conflict with someone or you've been wronged or, or you have wronged somebody else. I'm amazed by the number of times when you issue the apology, and I do this too. When you say, I'm sorry, the response is often, it's okay. It's okay. But is it? Okay, especially if you're the one asking for forgiveness. If the person just says, it, well, clearly it's not okay, otherwise you wouldn't have to apologize. And yet when they say it's okay, it seems so dismissive as if we're just going to keep going on and don't worry about it. But with God, he looks at us when we're in the wrong through his son, Jesus Christ, and says, I forgive you. And if there is any, it's okay. It's more and all is well between you and me because of what my son has done on your behalf. And you don't just go on your merry ways as if nothing has happened. In fact, you go together in light of what has happened. When it seemed that there was no hope of recovery, God intervened and came into the world to save it. Where do we go from here? Fast forward a couple years with my oldest daughter, and I had come home from a trip, and I gave her what I thought was a very nice gift. And like most young children, when they get a gift, they love it for about an hour. And then I found it discarded on the floor, right where everybody walked down the hallway, where it could be kicked, where it could be harmed. And so when I saw it there, within me was this resentment and anger toward her. And so I picked it up, and I put it in the top of a closet. Several hours later, she went looking for it and asked, Daddy, have you seen my toy? And I said, Honey, I did see it. It was lying in the hallway, and uh, you just left it there. 
Uh, you left it there where it could be trampled underfoot. It's clear that you don't care about it that much, that you take it for granted, and that you just don't know how to play with it. And until you understand how to handle it, how to play with it, and how to treat it, uh, I'm not going to give it back to you. She stuck her little lip out, and her eyes welled up with tears, and she looked at me and said, but Daddy, it was a present. You gave it to me. Shoot. (laughs) Out of the mouths of babes. That is... That's the gift of God's grace. You see, God has given you this gift in Jesus Christ, and there are times where you're going to abuse it. There are times when you don't know how to handle it. There are going to be times when you take it for granted. But God's love for you is fierce and unrelenting, and it is pointed right at you. If you haven't earned God's favor, you can't unearn it. You can't lose it. But it is always there because it's a gift. Rod Rosenblatt, who did a wonderful men's retreat here several years ago, wrote uh, in that retreat, he said this, The language of Christianity is the language of substitution. It is not primarily the language of morals. God is not presented as a mother saying, eat all your vegetables. Instead, Christianity is about a one-sided rescue that we didn't want and certainly did not deserve. And God did it anyway. At the cross, Paul says, God made Jesus to be sin who himself knew no sin. Peter says he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. So once we were strangers, alienated from the love of God, God in his love pursued us. And so when John Newton sings uh, that he was a wretch, this amazing grace that saved a wretch like me, and of all people, John Newton would have known he was a slave trader, a man who thought nothing of taking other human beings and shackling them in the bottom of a hold of a ship and sailing them to the other side of the world for profit. If there was anybody that didn't deserve God's grace on the surface, it's John Newton. And yet God in his mercy, even seeing the wretchedness of John Newton, reached down in his infinite love and called him to his own. By adoption through grace, John Newton was made a son of God. If you want to be a child of God, it's through adoption where God's love has pursued you and sought you out. Even when you tried to resist it. Even when you were railing your fist against him, God pursued you. So this morning, I pray that you would join me in this prayer. A prayer from the heart of a child of God. Let us pray. Lord, speaking for myself, I am undeserving of your love. In fact, I have fought it in spite of the fact that it has pursued me. You love me when I am unlovable, and by your grace you have made that which is unlovely, lovely. I take for granted your great love for this sinner. Whatever the outer limits of your grace are, I have crossed them. I have utterly, consciously, and with planning a forethought, blown it all from time to time. But I praise you that the gift of salvation is free.
I did not earn my salvation, but it was given to me by virtue of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. And I have been made your child. And Lord, though no longer the walking dead, I still feel that my heart is prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. And so, Lord, seal upon our hearts the truth that we are your children by grace through faith, and that nothing, nothing will ever separate us from the love of God, even ourselves. Amen.